Well, we are going to be today uh, finishing up our series on the parables and segueing kind of into the next thing. And so I want to introduce that to you today. Um, so appreciated what uh, Greg shared last week. And um, as he was teaching on this parable, really used it as an opportunity to talk about our vision and our mission here at the church. And um, this is something that we've been kind of digesting for a while. What, what are we called to do as a church? What does it look like and how are we to do it? And we've talked about this idea that we are um, a community that is pursuing becoming like Christ and for the sake of others. And, and those two things, how critical that is, that, that we're doing this internal work to have our minds and our hearts be like Jesus, but not just for our own sense of self-improvement, but, but really as a vision of changing the world. And um, the, the way that we do this is this desire to be a safe space where we can heal and a brave space where we can grow. And how all of us are, are in that spectrum somewhere of healing and growing. I think all of us will remain there for our whole lives to some level. Um, that we all come in bearing wounds that need to be addressed, and they are addressed by God's love. And yet there's this gospel that challenges us to more, to grow into who we are called to be. And I feel like this is going to be, in our parable today, really modeled for us well. And, and Jesus does this so intentionally. He, he is so much more than just his words, right? That Jesus models this in his action and his behavior. It's embodied. He lives it out, and so should we. I uh, remember talking to somebody about uh, values and, and um, core values, which you know I mentioned a few weeks ago, and um, and he said, "What are the behaviors that go along with those values?" He said, "For instance, if if somebody were to watch your life as like a silent film, where they couldn't no no words, no subtitles, they just watched you and your behavior, would they see your values demonstrated?" Which is an interesting question, isn't it? What are, what are the ways that we exhibit these things? And what we have so much in Scripture is Jesus' words that speak these ideas and these truths, but then what we have along with it is a whole context in which he lives it out. And it's worth our while to study both. That we don't just do what he says, but we imitate what he does. And so um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and... Um, once again, this one, some people would question whether or not this qualifies as a parable, but the translation that I'm reading calls it a parable today, so I'm going to stick with that. But whether it's a parable or a metaphor, these things, I think, you know, Greg was saying that parables are like extended metaphors. They're, they're stories that draw us into these deeper truths. But um, we get a good one today. It's um, the parable of, of the, the new wine and the old wineskins. So... Um, we're going to start in verse 27. This is going to kind of give us the context for which this comes, and then uh, we'll pick it all apart here. But uh, read along with me in Luke 5. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, 
but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast and offer prayers, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. The word of the Lord. There's a lot in here, a lot worth unpacking. And, and it's, um, we have, it, it makes a few little leaps here as it goes. But, um, but we see Jesus talking in this way about old wine versus new wine. And, and this is going to be important. This is going to be a metaphor of describing this radical change, this revelation, um, revelation that is going to occur, that is going to bring in something completely new. Not that it wasn't foreseen and foretold, but, but a whole different operating system is going to be happening here. Now, when I say that, that may make some of you feel a little bit nervous, right? Like every time it's time to update to the new operating system, do you get nervous, right? Are, how many of you like download the new iOS the day it comes out? Yeah, and then how many of you wait and wait for all the bugs? See, like two different mindsets. There, I once heard recently, I read this guy saying that there are two types of people, those that divide everybody up into two types and those that don't. <laughs> so you have the, the early adapters and the late adapters or something like that. Um, this is sort of, I think, the way that we, we tend to see the world. Um, those that, that are on board with the new thing, those that like want to take their time and are cautious. And, um, you know, I, I think, don't we see our world in two categories so much of the time that this tendency, especially as we're going into election season, right? Which side are you on? Are you with them or are you with us? And um, it's, it's a convenient way of seeing the world, but it's causing a tremendous amount of distress. Are you with them or are you with us? And this kind of binary polarization is having an effect on our world. And it almost looks like Jesus is doing the same thing here. Are you with the old wine or the new wine? But I think actually what he's addressing is kind of this mindset behind the Pharisees. That this way of splitting the world into categories causes a sort of harm and in the end can lead to this place of rigidity, where we get stuck. It almost creates in us an inability to change and grow and learn so that when the revelation comes, we burst open and it spills or the fabric tears. And I think Jesus is talking really in the end about how we stay supple and soft. The, The key to following Jesus is this teachability, this humility And again, he's modeling it. And and I love that it starts with the calling of this disciple, Levi, who we know in another gospel as Matthew. 
And see, when Jesus goes to pick his team, he picks all the wrong people. He goes and picks a tax collector, right? And here's the thing about a tax collector is nobody liked him, probably not even their mom. Like, <laughs> here's this, this guy who's basically sold everybody out. That in a time of occupation, this is the guy who's like working for the ones that, is, that are holding the Jewish people down. And not only that, he's taking advantage of this opportunity to extort his own people and even become wealthy. He's profiteering off of this system of oppression. And these tax collectors were despised. They couldn't go into the temple. They were looked down on society. And for Jesus to even be associated with them was to his disgrace. And Jesus goes up to this guy, Levi, or Matthew, we're told, and says, follow me, which is what a rabbi would say to maybe the best or brightest student in the class. Follow me, meaning you've got what it takes. Matthew, the one who is disdained. In fact, Levi may even be a reference to the fact that he may be with the tribe of the Levites which would have meant he's a part of a priestly line. You can imagine, right, the disgrace that he's brought on himself. He should have been one of the priests. And Jesus calls him to that, calls him back to that vocation. I love how in Matthew's gospel, it says that Jesus looked at him and saw a man. And see, again, this reminds me of what Greg was teaching last week, that this way of seeing, like in order to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to see the revelation when it comes, and most of us don't. It's often like too small for us to see. We've got this thing all figured out and so normalized, and and it comes in like this little mustard seed. Jesus looks at this tax collector and goes, oh, you're my guy. And Matthew responds by throwing this party at his house. And he was probably rich at this time and invites who else but all the rest of the tax collectors because those are the only people that will hang out with him. You've got these Pharisees watching Jesus at the time. They see this behavior and they're like, what is wrong with you? They ask these disciples, like, what what is he doing hanging out with people like this? This is like just suicide. They, They... as from a PR standpoint, are going, this is a disaster. And they're not against Jesus at this point. They just see him as this rising power and, in fact, want to befriend him, maybe even show him the way it's done, except Jesus never does it they want to, the way they want to do it. They say, why are you hanging out with these guys? And he goes, well, I'm a physician. Which, by the way, when we talk about this being a safe space to heal, right? We're not the ones up here doing surgery, thank God. Right? It's a place where God comes in and does this work. The physician is there and he's at work. But, but look at the way he does this. He does it by sitting at a table with them, welcoming them in. And I think so often when we think about how ministry is done, we're thinking, well, get these people all cleaned up, get their lives sorted out, and then have a meal with them, right? Make them presentable first. And this is not the way Jesus works. And this is not, I think, in fact, the way the new wine tastes. It comes, this revelation comes with inclusion first, and then what follows from there is conviction. 
And that order is critical. And it's not a bait and switch. He's not like putting this beautiful meal out and then going, now that I've got you all seated here, you're a bunch of dirty sinners, right? Jesus is calling them to the table because they belong, which is what Matthew is getting at when it says that Jesus saw him and saw a man. What Jesus comes in and does is restores their dignity, reminds them of who they are. This is how you are seen. This is how heaven looks upon you as a child of God. He restores their identity, and then in that restoration of that identity, calls them to more. He's going to say to Matthew, come follow me which is going to be costly. He's going to have to lay a lot of things behind. There's some, some patterns here that he's going to have to change. There's some people that he's going to have to pay back and make amends to, all of that. But, but it's not do that first. This gospel starts, starts with belonging. So much belonging that the ones that, that feel like they're kind of in power find themselves violated by it. And it's, it's funny, Jesus is going to say to the Pharisees, hey, the righteous don't need a physician, right? Which you would think would make them feel good about themselves. They're like, oh yeah, we're the righteous, right? Except they don't feel good about themselves. And the, the indication of that is the way that they're going around judging everybody else. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you guys doing this? Why aren't you guys fasting? John's disciples fast. Why aren't you guys fasting? Right there, they've got this whole way of looking at the world, like who fits, who belongs, and who doesn't. But then behind that belonging is who's kind of the most important guy in the room? How do we become the righteous people? Well, we do it by following all the rules, all the laws, all these little things that have been laid out for us. And when we do that, well then we've got the power. And Jesus is teaching over and over and over, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is about renunciation of power. My kingdom is about the greatest actually being the least, that the leaders become the servants. This is literally how the kingdom works. A flipped upside down metric. And so Jesus, when he says the righteous don't need a physician, what does he mean by that? He means... You guys all think that you're righteous. But the danger here, the conviction, is that the self-righteous probably are in the most precarious place of all. That what they're struggling with in their hearts is this rigidity, which is where this parable is going to come in. But when we take and we build systems about our own protection and self-worth and our own system of belonging where we're in and everybody else is out, that whole way of thinking is causing our hearts to grow hard. Jesus comes in and, and he welcomes all these people in their sin and the brokenness. But the one sin that Jesus just hits hard always is pride. Lewis calls it like the anti-God state of mind. It's that thing that seeks its own empowerment, its own self. And what that does is it turns our hearts hard. Gives us a heart of stone. And, and this softness, this suppleness is how the kingdom of heaven is supposed to operate. And underlying all of this is humility. 
that Jesus' kingdom comes in gentleness and humility and it welcomes people to the table. But not just that. It's open to learning and growing. It's willing to let itself be convicted and spoken to in those deep places of our heart. And then I think about this for our church, and I go, how, how do we be both of these things? How do we make sure that as people come in, they know they belong? And let me just say, you do. We will probably demonstrate that imperfectly, but as we grow and are healed, we become that safe space. Which means we don't see what's on the outside of people, but we see the heart, right? That is how we're being trained to see. If we're going to see like Jesus... When somebody walks in, you don't see the outward or you don't see the belief system or you don't see like what the political sign in their front yard says, right? You, you see the heart of this person and are moved towards it with compassion. The Pharisees are going to say to Jesus, like, your people don't even fast. What's wrong with you guys, right? Don't you know the rules? This is what disciples do. And, and Jesus is going to say, well, fasting is there for the purpose of waiting and preparation. But my disciples, the, the groom is here. It's like wedding season for them. They eat and they celebrate. They savor the intimacy. What a reminder. That's what this is all about. That's what the goal is, is your faith, your religion is there to help you grow in intimacy with God. That's why it's there. And when we separate that out and we take these rules and use them as like their own end, right? Like, what do we do? Well, we fast and we do our quiet time and we do all these things so that we feel like good people. That almost has a, the reverse effect. It creates a separation Jesus reminds us what's at the heart of all of this is intimacy. Fasting is good as long as it's bringing us into this deeper place of anticipation and longing. When we do practices, we're going to do a quiet day next um, Saturday. And, and we're going to, I think it's funny that we're sort of expediting our quiet time. We're going to squeeze it in and do it really efficiently. Um, <laughs> Be still, but for a short amount of time. Um, but, but the truth is, little bits like that create space, not so that you feel like, oh, now I'm such a spiritual person. I did a quiet day. Um, it's a chance of going and being with God, being in that place of intimacy, being nourished. There's a lot of different ways that happens. It happens as we read. That's why we read Scripture, is that the Holy Spirit is there in the midst of bringing it to life showing us new things, showing us this new wine. And I love this about Scripture is this sense that it's growing, it's expanding. And as it does, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The old wine was there to create a sense of identity for the Jewish people. And this old wine would be a reference back to the Torah and all the rules, right? But you had people coming out of slavery that didn't know who they were. And so God speaks this instruction. Here's how you behave. Here's how you be the people of God and gives them all these ways of behaving that are going to set them apart as God's chosen people because through them the Messiah is going to come, which we're told again and again is going to change the whole world. It's going to be this blessing for the whole world. 
But so often those rules end up becoming an identity piece and to the extent that they lose sight of the mission. It's about them. It's about egocentrism. It's about our thing. Does that sound familiar? We're still doing that today. We take religion and and we build fences and go, who's in and who's out? And Jesus just digs this well of living water and says, whoever's thirsty, come and drink. So many of Jesus' parables end with this kind of tragic cliffhanger where the older brother in the prodigal son story doesn't come into the banquet or all the people invited to the feast decide to stay home. And Jesus gives us this parable of this fabric, like the, the idea is that if you patch a garment that's become like rigid and dry, as that stretches, it's going to just tear away the new fabric from the old. Or if you take old wineskins and fill them with new wine, as that wine ferments, it's going to expand to the point where it's going to rupture the vessel, right? So this vessel itself is no longer big enough to contain what's coming and what's new. And as this new gospel comes in, this gospel that we see is including all the Gentiles and bringing them to the table, we're going to watch even the disciples struggle with it. This is good news. And you're like, that's awesome. Good news for us, right? And it's like, no, no, good news for the world. Good news for them and them and them. And you're like, oh, but not them, not the tax collectors. Jesus is saying, no, especially for them. Especially for the ones that are cast out. Especially for the ones that are looked down upon. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And, and these people want to go, yeah, but these guys deserve it. They're the sellouts. They sold their people out. They've done too much wrong, right? And Jesus is going, no, them too. Come to my table. And this is what you watch. I think as scripture is growing, you see this like love of God becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And in those rules, there were all these like purity codes of like who belonged, who could come into the temple and who couldn't. And you see that sort of shifting as it goes. For instance, you couldn't be a eunuch and come into the temple, right? And that's uh, described in Deuteronomy rather graphically, actually. Um, but, but the reason I bring that up is when you see this arc of where Scripture is taking us, it's not just like out with the old, in with the new, but this expanding new wine is growing. And I just love this in Isaiah. It says, um, Do not let the foreigner joined to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. This is what the gospel does. It gathers draws us in. And the old wineskins are like, ugh, I can't abide with this, right? 
which is a warning for us too, right? Who is the good news for? Is there any, any groups where we're like, eh, not those guys, please not those guys. But these are areas in us that need to continue to heal. And that's the ongoing work the gospel is doing in our hearts. Because Jesus is going to keep saying, it's bigger, my love is bigger than that. One of my favorite stories, I mean, if I have to pick a guy out of scripture that I love the most, it's probably Peter, because he just is such an example of what not to do, oftentimes, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, you're my guy, right? Peter, the one who keeps messing up, right? And, and there's this wonderful story in Acts where the gospel, it's time. It's time for it to go to the Gentiles. In fact, God's already talked to Cornelius, who's like a Roman centurion. And this angel comes to him and goes, look, you are esteemed by God and you need to go meet Peter which is a beautiful moment for Cornelius. And it's a challenging moment for Peter. Cornelius is healing. Peter needs to grow. And, and so God comes and he gives him a vision. And once again, you know, everything comes to Peter in threes. It takes like three times before he responds right. Jesus shows him this, basically this, um, this feast before him of forbidden foods and says, come and eat. And Peter says... By no means, Lord. And again, come and eat by no means. The third time. Now, um, <laughs> there it is. Um, a third time it comes and he concedes. And, and I love this example that this is where the resistance, the hardness of heart, right? He, he disobeys God out of obedience to God or, you know, right? Like, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do because I'm holding to the old ways. I don't, I don't do that. I don't eat that food, right? I don't associate with Gentiles. I don't do these things. And Jesus is going, that's got to change. New wine, Peter. And he gets it on the third time. And he goes, he welcomes these men that are coming on behalf of Cornelius and then is invited into Cornelius' home. And I love this. I'm just going to read this from Acts 10. It says, On the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And so this moment, right, it comes with a moment of hospitality again that Peter enters into the home of Cornelius as a guest, right? And in this, you see all these rules broken. I, I can imagine for some of us, like this moment would be like, ah, I don't, I don't do this. I don't walk into places like this, right? Whatever that is, you're walking into, um, I don't know, some casino or something that like, you feel like I'm not supposed to be in here, right? But, but you see Jesus saying, oh, no, no, no right? This is not unclean. Go in and meet. This identity that was so rigid and firm for him, you see God softening. 
that God's love comes in and softens these old wineskins, right, that, that makes them supple so that they can grow. And Peter's going to go back and he's going to tell the church, listen, you guys, the Gentiles are in and they're going to be like, you're out of your mind. And he's going to be like, no, 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 really. And they're going to be like, well, fine, as long as they get circumcised. Except then Paul's going to come along and go, no, 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 none of that matters. And Paul's going to come back to James and these guys and he's going to go, they don't need to, they don't need to behave like Jews. These are people that want to follow Jesus. And these ways of dividing who is in and who is out, who belongs and who doesn't, these things are going away. And so Paul is going to say there's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ. All these ways that we figure out who belongs more than others, right? All these ways of delineating where the power is. The gospel comes in and levels those things, which is disorienting, right? So many of us know ourselves based on how we perform or the role that we have or the title we wear or where we belong. But Jesus is going to say, when you use those things to protect yourself and build your privilege or your power, your heart gets hard. And then what happens when the new wine comes, Right? just ruptures, it spills out, it's wasted. There's a moment in, I'm giving you kind of the, the, the overview here, but there's a moment in Galatia, in the church there, and in the book of, or the letter of Galatians, where Paul is talking to the church, and this is a church of Jews and Gentiles kind of coexisting and commingling, and it's happening beautifully there, and Peter's even visiting, and he's in their midst, but then this group from Jerusalem shows up and all of a sudden Peter goes back to just eating with the Jews. And Paul calls him out like in front of everybody and just goes, Peter, like knock it off. When you do that, it like renders the gospel inert. When we go back to making those distinctions, protecting that privilege, drawing those lines, which we so often we get it wrong because we draw those lines around us, right? We're always in no matter what. We protect ourselves when we draw those lines. So Jesus says, don't do it. Respond in generosity to others. Respond in humility towards yourself. And I think there's this beautiful humility on both sides. Who are we? We are those who are sick and in need of a physician, But on the other side, we are those who belong and are included. We receive that love, but realize that love is for everyone. And here's the thing, that that this is messy and this is hard, and people are at all different places in all of this. One more little example there. Um, When Peter says to James, he says... um, Look, circumcision no longer, these dietary laws no longer, blah, blah, blah. He's going down the list, and and James holds out for one of them. Do you know what it is? Meat sacrificed to idols. He goes, at least give me that. No meat sacrificed to idols. And this is what I love is Paul goes, deal. (laughs) And then later in Romans, he's like, it's okay. If you want to eat the meat sacrificed to idols, it's okay. 
just don't tell James. No, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't say that. But he says, he says, if it does bother somebody, don't do it. Don't do it. Right? That's what he's saying. If it's triggering somebody, respond in compassion towards that person. That God has given us this freedom, but not to exercise like in your face, like I can do whatever I want. Like there are no boundaries here. It's not that at all. It's, it's always showing deference towards the other. Always responding with gentleness. All of us are walking with a limp. All of us are in a process of healing. But we're in this vocation of being wounded healers, right? That's kind of our assignment. That as we heal, we have the opportunity to help heal others. And that comes with with compassion and with gentleness. It comes with seeing the humanity, letting other people know that they belong. In our words, yes, but even more in our actions. It's that famous line attributed to St. Francis that we, we preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. That, that our actions become the greatest testimony to this love and compassion. How to stay soft, how to stay supple, how, how to remain in that place. I think really what he's talking about is wisdom. And that's what I kind of want to focus on specifically as we go forward in our next series. How do we as followers of Jesus become wise? And what we're going to find is it starts with humility and fear of the Lord. How do we pursue that? How do we have discernment and understanding so that we're not separating into us against them? We're not drawing these sort of lines and conclusions, but we're seeing the hearts. We're seeing the nuance, seeing through the complexity into this beautiful simplicity that each of us are made in God's image. Some questions to go deeper. And, and these questions are designed to, to just push us a little bit further in. The first, are you open to God showing you more of who he is? Are you willing to grow even if it's uncomfortable? Because here's the truth. It always is uncomfortable, right? When we, when we see that growth edge, we're like, ah, oh, and there's that resistance and we just want to go back. Let me just sit with the people that I'm comfortable with. But to realize so often the invitation is us pushing through that sort of resistance. That's the courage. That's the brave space. Number two, are there areas you find yourself resisting in him? Who do you find it difficult to include at the table? Because if we're honest, all of us probably have that too, right? Maybe even we can justify it. Well, yeah, I feel this way because, right? But, but in the end, our growth, it's Peter, the zealot, going into the home of the Roman centurion. This is like going in to talk to a Nazi leader or something like that as a Jewish man. You're like, all Peter wants to do is fight Romans. And instead he goes in and receives this man into his family. Number three, how do we create a space of belonging at our church? What behaviors demonstrate a place that is safe to heal and brave to grow? And I can answer that, but I think better that we're all seeking to answer that question 
and all realizing that we participate, we do that collectively together. How do we become that? How do we become a place where people are drawn in love, shown that they belong and welcomed? How can I contribute to making our church more in line with that vision? Would you stand with me? Let me just say thank you for being here. It's wonderful to have you guys. We feel privileged to have you a part of this church. Um, If you would like prayer this morning, you could come forward. We've got food outside. Please stick around, get to know somebody. Um, But I want to leave you once again with a blessing that as you go, that God would bless you and keep you. God would make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you. Thanks for being here, guys.